Welcome to the Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast, inside the business, buzz, and brilliance of Black entrepreneurs. Here is your host, Dr. Francis Richards. What happens in Vegas goes all over the world on Black Entrepreneur Experience, episode 136. Thank you for joining us as we elevate the Black Entrepreneur Experience by interviewing CEOs, thought leaders, innovative thinkers, and Black entrepreneurs across the globe. I'm your host, Dr. Frances Richards. Dr. Gail Hayes, author, communicator, leadership coach, media personality, and thought leader. Dr. Gail helps you to handle your business where you do business. Welcome, Dr. Gail. Thank you so much, Dr. Francis. Thank you for having me as your guest today. I am so delighted to finally see you in person. (laughs) It is my pleasure. Listen, I have given our audience such a brief background about you, but you have such an amazing bio. Why don't you fill in the gaps and share with us what you'd like us to know about you and your business? Well, I am a a military daughter. I'm a military brat, as they called us, baby boomer. And 19, when I was five years old, my father took me out of the African-American community and took me to Asia to live. So I lived in Asia for almost five years. And then I lived in Europe for over 12 years. So I have, a, I guess, an international mindset, if you will being raised outside of my community and coming back into my community, being coming back and forth. I served in law enforcement. I worked on Capitol Hill. I was the first uh, African-American female law enforcement officer in a little place called Chapel Hill, North Carolina, when I was serving when Michael Jordan was at the University of North Carolina. So you can imagine what that was like. The town was in a total joyous uproar continues to continue to win championships. I also... We worked on Capitol Hill and served in media and in international relations in the international arena. So I've done a lot of things. Talk about that transition. Have you always been an entrepreneur or you you mentioned that you worked on Capitol Hill, so you did say that you worked a regular traditional job. Talk about that transition from owning your own business to working for someone else. Okay. I, after I was in law enforcement, I got married while I was in law enforcement, and I married another military brat. And we went to live in Europe, went to live in Germany, and I was working as a community volunteer consultant, the community commander's volunteer consultant. If anybody knows anything about the military, they know that the community commanders are like governors, more so, not so much mayors, but governors, especially if you're outside of the United States. And I was his consult, volunteer, paid volunteer consultant. And that meant that I had to galvanize the volunteer workforce. And I had to, well, what they used to say was, I used to babysit command spouses. In other words, I was the one who, who um, took care of the ones who slept with the power brokers. I could say, hey, we need this. And they would get done. Because they would get a word unofficially to their husbands for the most part back then, to get things done. And because if something happened, say for instance, I was there in Germany when Desert Storm broke out. So they had to take care of the troops and their families. So I would help. I acted as a liaison between the military side of the house and the volunteer corps to make sure that young families were cared for. So it was so stressful during that time 
because we went on lockdown and I had served in that community, served in that position for probably three years. I also had a very, very challenging boss. And because we're talking about primarily to an African-American audience, I believe people can understand this. I had a boss who was racist. And she really had a problem with the fact that I knew how to work in the community as, as skillfully as I did because she used to hire people of color and then set out to prove them to be incompetent so no one could prove it. But she hired me, so that did not work. But I was able to go through that. And at the end of, the, of working, my coming to a conclusion that I need to leave, I decided that I was going to do something that most of the people I knew were not going to do. I was going to be an independent consultant and find my way, navigate my way through the military and the German side of the house. And I quit my good paying job. Everybody knew thought I was crazy. But I stepped right into consulting and speaking for EEOC, doing special emphasis workshops. In the military community, special emphasis programs are extremely important because of their diverse, diverse workforce. So there was monies aside from, you know, like Women's History Month, Black History Month, Hispanic History Month, um, Women's Equality Day, those type of things. They had money set aside for those type of celebrations. And so I got on the quote unquote the circuit doing a lot of that contract work going in for conflict resolution. And I ended up working as a consultant, contracted consultant for the Office of Personnel Management's European Training Division, where I became known as a leadership expert and conflict resolution expert going all over Europe dealing with the civilian workforce. So that's how it transitioned for me. And that was in 1990. And I, have a, I only have had one job since that time, and it was only for 90 days. And then they also hired me as a consultant. So I have been, wow, as we're doing this about 29 years ago, I've been an entrepreneur that long. Congratulations, and thanks for sharing that. Tell us what your doctorate degree is in. It's in counseling, and I am not a licensed counselor on purpose. Let me tell you why. Because I can't, can you imagine, I'm just going to be honest, my energy is such that my name is Gail. Gail Force wins the beginning of the hurricane. Now, me doing one-on-ones, that just doesn't work well. I do groups better. And so I went into counseling because I had such a dysfunctional family. And I was trying to learn something or grasp something that could help me cope with the trauma of my family. And at the end of the day, the only thing that served me well was my spiritual walk. It wasn't what I learned in school, but it was what I learned as a person and how to deal with other people and my intuition or being intuitive and coming to terms with getting to know me better so I would know how to respond to other people. And so my educational background, although it's interesting or good, has not been the thing that I lead with because I do not want to work in counseling. If that, you understand what I'm saying? I'm a coach. (laughs) And talk about your ideal client. Okay, I you know I have just discovered my ideal client, and I'm so excited because I'm working with my ideal clients. Most of my clients are executives who want to write because I've written probably in excess of 50 books. And the ones that I let me give you an example. One of my ideal this client I'm working with now. Oh my God, she's wonderful. She used to be the director of women minority women's health for the state of North Carolina, and she is a breast cancer survivor. Right in the midst of the height of her career, she has breast cancer, and she journaled her way through the experience. And so we put together her book, and we're putting together that project now. And I'm coaching her, not only helping her write her book, but also coaching her on how to 
hate to use the word, but it's a pitch. Because she has um, major companies that are approaching her because she's talking about the, the book and how to she can collaborate with them. So I help them help I'm helping her to put together a piece, a promotional piece, along with the book, to pitch how they can get her book into corporations and how she can partner with them to set, to get her message out. So someone like that who's an, an executive who doesn't who knows they don't know about book writing, who knows they don't know about publishing, but they trust me. And so I'm an executive leadership coach. So most of my clients, I think clients are people who are leaders who don't have a lot of time to haggle. They know what they want, and we sit down, we, we get it done, we look at it, we review, and then we execute. Dr. Gill, can you tell us what you are most grateful for now in your life? For I sound mine. I used to hear the old people in church and say, thank you, Lord, for waking me up this morning in my right mind. And I just kind of laughed at them. I did. I said, oh, yeah, okay. I understand what they mean now because life brings with it challenges and situations that sometimes can be overwhelming if you are not solid in who you know you are, who you believe you are. And I have been hit with some things that, of course, it sounds like everyday things, but I was married for 33 years and divorced. And the divorce itself was not so much tumultuous as it was the transition part afterwards after living with someone for so many years. So I'm grateful for my right mind because I also brought out of that, that marriage two young children. I had my children in my 40s after I was told that I could not have children. So I have a son and a daughter and they're young adults, the Gen Xers who are living with the baby boomer. And so that for me is what I'm grateful for, having a right mind to be able to come out of that, still standing, and be able to watch my young adults' children evolve into these amazing young adults. I am so grateful and so honored that I was allowed, I was given a second chance because I was a woman who had terminated two pregnancies in my early 20s, and I was given a second chance of being a mother. And that, to me, having a right mind and being able to impart to them is what I am most grateful for. Dr. Gill, what problem exists in the world today that you'd like to solve? Wow, what a question. Uh, the problem of racism. I just think it's, it's, it's foolish to judge people by the, by the color of their skin, by the melanin in their skin. It is one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever experienced, and I speak out against it quite regularly. And I have, I guess, a somewhat unique mission is I go into the GOP and speak to them about it. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now, let me ask yeah. you this. You've traveled a great deal around the world. Did you see the same problem exist as in the States in terms not, of racism? Not to the intensity that it is in the United States. I see. And let me give you an example. I'm an artist. I used to be a performing artist. I used, I used to, I toured Europe singing. And once you get to us, when you, you start doing a certain thing a certain way, for instance, what I did over there, the Europeans valued it, and it didn't matter after a while. They looked at the artistic value of who you were as opposed to your melanin. And so here, it's a totally different thing. You have to prove yourself, and you're judged, and you have to shape your image a little differently. In other words... If you're black, most of the people that you sing to or you, you reach black people in the United States, not so in the international arena, they look at the content of your, of your talent and what you bring, and they celebrate it regardless. Now, 
I do know that some racism exists, but not to the degree and the intensity of the, of the United States. So living outside the United States, coming back after living outside the United States for a number of years, it was like culture shock because you got to get you get back. You have to be aware of the biases. You're aware of them in Europe or in other. I haven't been to the nations of Africa, but in Europe, you're aware of them. But people quickly get get past it a very different way, if that makes any sense. And what do you attribute the ingrained racism in the states? I think history. Okay, I'm just going to say white privilege. (laughs) Some people just want us to get over it and just forget about it while we're still being treated unfairly. And when I've actually had people come to me and say, ask the question, when are black people going to get over it? And this was a politician. And I was able to ask her specifically, get over what? And we had a discussion. And by the time I got finished talking to her, she was in tears because she could not see her bias. She could not see her racism. And I was able to articulate to her in such a way that she had to stop and take a call, take a pause and say, oh my God. But so many times what I've noticed that white people see is our rage, black Rage. And I said, you see black rage, but it's black pain. And so when I'm able to articulate and give them examples of the principles of the racism in operation, they cannot deny it. Now, it's easy for us to say, oh, they know. Wait a minute. Some of them really don't know. They just know that they're sitting on a cushion of privilege. And it's like I told her, I said, you're sitting on a cushion of privilege that your great, 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 great grandfather passed down to you. And there's a chain around your neck with a key on it. And that key is the key to the warehouse where the rest of the cushions are. We don't want your cushion. We want the, we want our own cushion that's in the warehouse because your great-great-great-great-grandfather made my great-great-great-great-grandmother make those cushions. And so we just want that because the ground of America is so red with the blood of our ancestors crying out, give us our 40 acres and a mute. Now, I'm just saying I go into the GOP and mostly white organizations and speak this truth. And I speak it in such a way that they cannot say they did not get it, if you understand what I'm saying. So that's just a a mission that I have. And because of my background of being raised mostly in the white arena, I can go in and speak a language and help them and paint pictures with words so they understand and so they can no longer say they did not get it. Dr. Gill, how did you end up on that side of the fence? Well, my father was in the military, and I was raised very conservative. And so when you were raised saluting the flag, and you had to be a certain way at a certain time and have a code of honor even as a family member, because if you didn't do right, they would get your your daddy in trouble or your mother, whoever. I was just raised traditional American values because my father was a soldier. He was a warrior. And I was raised up in that environment. I I didn't just marry into it. From the time that I was five years old to the time I was a young adult, I lived in a military community. And then I married uh, a military brat who became a soldier. So we were, both of us raised in an international community, speaking to people of many nations about many different issues. And as a result of that, I became a black Republican. Now, my friends would say, how can you be a Republican? I said, somebody's got to get in the room. You stand out on the corner waving a handmade sign and then the news media pans over you and they go home. But I'm in the room with them with my heels and my hose on, drinking out of a china cup, asking them, what's your problem with Black Lives Matter? 
There's a difference. Somebody's got to get in the room. That's how I ended up because I saw that somebody had to be a bridge. And when you're a bridge, you get walked on. But you can also become a toll bridge to get paid. Pretty profound. Love it. And I I tell people straight up, you have to remember one thing. First of all, I am black. I'm a woman of African descent. That's the first thing about me. So when I come in, I come in with my melanin. I'm like Maya Angelou. When I come, I bring 10,000 with me. So when I get into these places and spaces where there are other people who don't look like me, who are uncomfortable with me, I say, ah, too bad. I'm here and I'm not leaving. You're going to hear about this from me. And as a result of that, I got appointed by the governor of my state, who was Republican governor, to be a commissioner. So I can't be put out. So when the president administration was running for president, when the then future vice president came through North Carolina, they called me to pray for him. So I got a private audience with him and asked him what was his problem about some things. But that's a whole other story. In order for you to do that, you have to get in the room. And sometimes you can't get in the room unless you have a certain alphabet behind your name. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so I do work like that. I go in and say, point things out so they can't stammer, stutter, or bite their tongues or back away from it. I say, here's what I see. Here's what's going on. What is your answer for this, gentlemen? That's me. Dr. Gail, what advice did someone tell you that you wish you had followed? To value myself more and to take a look at Gail and get to know Gail more before I connected to another person. Hmm. My aunt said that to me. She said, if you, when I was 19 years old, she said, if you could just see what I see and see how awesome you, you are. I thought she was nuts because I didn't feel good about myself at all. And she said, if you could just see what I see, you make different choices in a very different way because you would see how awesome you are. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't think that there was anything special about me. I was gifted or anything. And she basically told me, she said, you're such a gifted communicator because of your upbringing, because you were thrown out, thrown into the international arena, you really have a gift that's been cultivated by those experiences. I had no clue what she was talking about when I was 19 years old or 20 years old. That's, I, wish I, had, I wish I had known what that meant. And I had sat still long enough for her to more closely mentor me. Are you an only child? No, I am the firstborn of seven. <laughs> mm. Very good. How do you define success, Dr. Gale? At this stage of my life, one word, peace. One thing I pursue above all things, Dr. Francis, is peace. What gives you peace? What gives me peace is knowing that I'm healthy, knowing that I can make choices, that the choices I make do impact other people. Even though I may be standing alone, it's like the proverbial pebble in a, in a pond. And what gives peace is what I, how I define success. Peaceful and knowing. Because if you have peace, you operate in power. It automatically comes with that. I have a, a quote that I use that says, true power knows when to wait when it can make the best, biggest impact. I've learned not to go fast. I learned to step back and observe and have a peace about it. Breathe in, breathe out and say, okay, no matter what this looks like, I'm going to have peace. And that, to me, when you have that peace and you understand the impact you can make, that is true success. Talk about work-life effectiveness and how do you make that happen in your business? I put people first. I always want to make connections that are lasting connections if I can. 
And I want to work with people I know, like, and trust. I don't want to work with people I don't like. And I don't want anybody working with me. They don't like me. And so for me, being effective is like you asked the question you asked earlier, who is your ideal client? Knowing who your ideal client is and knowing who you're called to serve, that's what make you, makes you effective. If you're trying to serve everybody with everything that you have, you cannot be impacted. You cannot be effective. But really sitting down and discuss, discovering, writing it down, what does your ideal client look like? You cannot be effective if you don't know who your ideal client is because you will hit a lot of brick walls and you make a lot of mistakes and you'll waste a lot of time if you don't do that self-examination. And that's what I've discovered in discovering my ideal client is working with people who value who I am. So in turn, I value them and what they want to do and help them cross the finish line with those projects. That's if work about work-life effectiveness because that flows over also into your personal life because when you have a job well done, here's two words I always love. Mission accomplished. If I say mission accomplished, that means I feel good about what I have done. And that's basically it. That's how I'm impacting other people, giving them what they need, giving them what they came for, and then letting them go out the door so they can go to the next place and handle their business. That, for me, is working life effectiveness, knowing who I serve and how to serve them well. You said a mouthful there and very profound statement when you were talking about finding your ideal client and who you are, who you should really serve. Talk to us about that process to get to that nugget. How did I get there? Oh, I, listen, you know the old the fairy tale, you know, kiss a lot of frogs before you get a prince. <laughs> I had to kiss a lot of frogs, girl. I didn't have a lot of bad clients. Well, they weren't necessarily bad. They just weren't good for me. I had to had to try to serve a lot of clients before I finally said enough. And what I had to do was I kept serving clients until I came across one that was wonderful. And what I did is I made note of what that client brought and how I served, how easy it was to serve that client. Then the next client, I said, well, wait a minute. This is not as good as the last one. What? different. Well, what was different was this was a different client than me to be with someone else. So finally, after I got tired of trying to figure out, you, you know, it's, it's like, you gotta have a, you have to have a good fit with people. It's like, some, it doesn't mean that something's wrong with them or something's wrong with you. It's just a good fit. And there's certain people that you just kind of know, you have a knowing that it's a good fit. It's not about the money. The money will come if you get with the right people. But so many times we get into situations because of the money. They're going to pay us well, and it is miserable. And you ended up paying them because of what it extracted from you. So for me, when I'm with an ideal client, we don't haggle about prices. They understand the value of what I bring. And I understand how to serve them because I know what they're looking for. I know what they want. It's almost like an instinctive kind of connection. You just connect. You don't have to put on a, a dap currency and you have to put it in there and try to get in or uh, an extension cord. You don't need that. It just fits. It's about making that fit and you will get to know that but you have to make mistakes really in order to find that out and it takes time but really the time it takes it takes time is how, how flexible you are if that, that makes any sense. How flexible you are, how open you are to learning and not looking at all these mis- if these mistakes or they're not the right clients. As not a learning. I always look at it as a, what did I learn? That's the question I ask my children when they have an experience that's not quite 
up to the, what the standard that they want. I said, what did you learn? I asked myself, what did I learn? And I started jotting down what I wanted in the client because I didn't really know what I wanted. I really didn't because I had to get to know me in a different way. And people would call me, you know, people have called me bougie, Dr. Francis. They said, yeah, Dr. Gill, you know, you're just bougie. And I'm saying, no, I'm not bougie. I, I said, now, this is what I say now when they say that about me. I said, no, I'm not bougie. I said, I'm a member of the bourgeoisie. I said, and I am bourgeois. If you're going to say it, use the right words. It's French. <laughs> I'm bourgeoisie. I'm bourgeois. Uh, yeah, I'm a member of the bourgeoisie. I'm bourgeois. And they go, oh, I said, so if you're going to call me that, use the correct terminology. Thank you very much. <laughs> I hope that answered your question. It did. It definitely okay. did. Talk to a younger you. Dr. Gale, what advice would you give to a younger Dr. Gale? Huh. Value yourself. Find out what your gifts are. Take time to celebrate you. You're always taking time to celebrate others. It's okay, baby, to celebrate you. It's okay to look in the mirror and, to, and, and congratulate yourself. It's okay. You do not have to minimize yourself in order to, to make other people feel comfortable. If you could, if you find yourself in a situation where you're minimizing you, you're not in the right place. Get in the ocean and get the motion of your ocean and do what you need to do to handle your business and celebrate you. Because if you don't celebrate you, you're going to find yourself always trying to look for the affirmation of others. And that's what not, this is not. This is life. It's not about that. It's OK to celebrate you. And walk in confidence because you cannot build self-confidence unless you can celebrate and love and value you. You mentioned that you authored over 50 books. Tell us your latest book and what was the inspiration behind that? My latest book I co-authored with my daughter and it's called The Galaxy Journal. Write your own story, create your own world. My daughter is an author. She's 20 and she's written three books. I told her she couldn't live in my house if she wasn't an author. That's just me. And what we did was we created this journal. She, she has a blog about, uh, Gal- her name is Gabrielle, Galaxy Gabrielle. And I said, Gabrielle, how can you help other young women create their own, their own world, their own galaxy? And so we came up with the Galaxy Journal. And when you open the book, inside of the book, there's a place that says, Galaxy, fill in the blank. So the young lady can write her name in it. And she can begin to create her own world. And it's a step-by-step book where they're writing prompts, quotes, different things to lead them, exercises to lead them through a process where they can get to know who they are and develop, discover and develop their own strengths. So that was that to me is one of the most important. And I just um, get, I spoke on this at a summer camp for young adults in Memphis, Tennessee. And the girls were re- doing the book, opening the book, filling it out before we could even finish giving the workshop. It was just a wonderful, and they loved it so much, they brought me back to end the, when the camp ended, three weeks later, five weeks later, they, the, the young women and young men, I also wrote a book for young men called The Conduct of Kings, that's the one I wrote before that, they brought me back because we were talking more about, we were talking about getting to know you before you connect with another person, and what happens when you don't, when you have a, a connection that doesn't fit. And when you don't understand what the other person really wants or what you really want going into that collaboration or that connection. So I help people find the connection and fill in the blanks. I'm a bridge between the races, the genders, the generations, and even the political parties. I'm a bridge. And like I said earlier, when you're a bridge, you get walked on. But you can also become a toll bridge to get paid. (laughs) 
Well, you are definitely clear on your purpose. And I love that your purpose Thank and you. your passion and what and who you're here to serve. And that's pretty amazing. Thank you, Dr. Francis. You don't know how much that means to me. I appreciate that. Thank you. Talk about the technology tool or the technology platform that is a must-have for you in managing your business day-to-day. My cell phone. I do everything on my phone. I see, a lot of baby boomers don't. But see, I live with Gen Xers. My children are in their early 20s, and I'm in my 60s, okay? So they have taught me about technology, and I've taken it a step further and learned about apps and all that. And they're like, Mom, I said, I already have that. Oh, well, you need to get this. I already have it because it's, it's like a whole new world. I've been on the Internet since 1997. So my ex-husband is an IT professional. So I understood the Internet a long time ago. So I've been out there for a while. And I've watched the WWW, the Wild Wild West, become more manageable and watched as it changed and shifted and understood the technology as it evolved. I evolved with it. And so I don't go without my cell phone and I have to have a computer. I can have a, tablets are okay for me, but I have to have, a, I have a computer, a mini computer, a microcomputer that translates it, that it becomes a tablet. And also my big computer. I'm a writer and a communicator and my world is created with words. So those are things that I have to do, my communication tools, my cell phone, my mini computer and my big computer, which is also a big laptop. I have because I, my whole world is regulated and it flows and it's created with words. Dr. Gail, who are your top two influencers in your life and what lessons do they teach you? Wow. Let's see. I've had a hard time finding mentors. I never could find a mentor. And someone once told me, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. I said, I said, no, sometimes you don't get a mentor. You'll be ready and so desperately looking for one. Everybody wants to hit you, push you away. But I, I have been in the presence of greatness. And I, the one person, I watched my mother persevere. And although my relationship with my mother is not an ideal one, I watched my mother stay in the midst of chaos. I watched her stand in the midst of pain. I watched my mother cry, but continue to move. I watched her do all kinds of things. And I helped her. I was, she's only 16 years older than I am. So I walked through a lot of stuff with her that helped me become who I am. And I would say that, um, let's see. If I had to, I have to really think on that because people have asked me that before. I cannot think of, it's almost like there was a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A kaleidoscope, if you will, of reading different stories about women, but maybe not having direct access to them. And because before I could even formulate or try to get a mentor, I'm going to tell you, honestly, Dr. Francis, people were coming to me for counsel. I'm talking about people that I thought who were going to be mentors for me. I'm talking about from a very young age, they were coming to me. I have this kind of, uh, I guess, a unique gift for wisdom because I used to be a a scholar. I used to really study the the Bible. And it said in there, if you ask God for wisdom, he'll give it liberally. So I believe that. So I would ask, I said, God, give me wisdom so I can see into this situation. And it was like people started seeing the wisdom, which I wasn't even aware that that's what it was. I asked for it, but I didn't know. Uh, people who were in positions of power and authority would come to me and say, Gail, what do you see about this? Tell me what you see. And I'd be like, well, I see this, this, and this. So I have a unique gift of sight. And that's very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's, type, it's type, kind of challenging to find someone 
who can mentor you with that gift? Because you can see. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I had a really hard time. So what I decided to do is that I want to be uh, mentored. And the mentor would turn on me. I mean, older women were not nice. So I made up in my mind that I was not going to do that to these younger women. So I'm surrounded by a sea, an ocean of younger women, because I love the hell out of them. Because they tell me they can't usually be around uh, older women. But I already knew from a young age, I already knew as I got to be a mature woman that I was going to be surrounded by younger women because I'm, I'm excited. I don't want them to fall in the pit just because I fell in the pit. I don't want them to go through what I went through. Now, I'm going to say, here's the go. There's the, there's the hole. If you step in, it's on you. All I can do is offer you a rope. So I've learned from these younger women and my own experiences how to put these things together and reach out to my peers and say, look, y'all, we need to turn around and help them. I don't want to hear complaints. I don't want to hear negative. You made it. You got to help them. So I'm kind of like that bridge girl. You know, I talk to my contemporaries so we can turn around and help these younger women not make the same mistakes. We shouldn't want them to go through what we went through, if that makes any sense. It does. Dr. Gail, you talked about your mom being your influencer and you talked about, and thanks for being very transparent about your relationship. Is she aware the way you feel about her in terms of her being your influencer and how you really admire what she's done? She is extremely aware. That's what's so painful is that she's extremely aware. One of my books that I wrote in 213 is called The Power of a Woman Who Leads. I wrote this for a major publisher and I dedicated it to my mother. And here's the dedication. It says to Inez Riley McLean, who taught me to stand and refuse to accept defeat, to find joy in the midst of sorrow, to love in the face of intolerance and hatred, to see beauty even in unsightly places and to lead even when others plan a mutiny. She pushed aside her own dreams so that I could be who I have become. She passed on the flame and ignited leadership's torch within me. Now, I wrote that dedication to my mother, and she didn't even call me when she got the book. Now, (laughs) I mean, so, you know what? (laughs) I just said, okay, Mom. And she she told one of my siblings, Gail didn't write that book. Anybody can copy something down and write in the book. So my mother and I have this relationship where I just... And see, a lot of us, especially as black people, we don't want to talk about mother pain. But mother pain is very prevalent. But I will tell you what, if my mother had done anything differently, I would not be who I am today. And when she did not respond to me, when I wrote this book and I dedicated to her, I called her on it for the first time. And I said, Mom, you got this book and I dedicated it to you. Oh, I've been busy. I said, Mom, you're not that busy. And I said this to her. Mom, I want to thank you for all that you taught me. I said, I've been taught to honor you, and I've honored you thusly. But what you have shown, this is unacceptable behavior for a mother, but what you have shown me is what not to do with Gabrielle, my daughter. So I said, I'm going to be her biggest cheerleader because I never had that, and that's what is happening in my life. We can learn from successful entrepreneurs like yourself, brands. Tell us a brand or a business that's dominating or you admire and why. Okay, let's see. Does it have to be black? <laughs> no. Any business. Okay. Any Let me business tell you who I've learned about this brand. I've learned about Kate Spade. And you might say, why Kate Spade, Gail? Kate Spade did commit suicide, which proves to you, first of all, as a woman, money is not everything. But what I love about this brand is my daughter works for Kate Spade. And I didn't find it out. They have a program, and I can't remember what it's called, where they go into developing countries and they teach the women how to make handbags. 
And then once a year, they put those handbags in their stores worldwide. And people buy them. And the money goes directly back to those developing women in those developing nations. Then they help those women set up their own businesses, making handbags, high-end handbags. I'm just saying. <laughs> and they do this worldwide. I didn't know this. I had no clue. And women come into these stores looking for those bags, for their special bags, and then all the money goes back to those women in those villages and those townships who made the bags. I just loved it. And it doesn't matter. And they're all over the world in developing nations doing this. And it's not something they talk about a lot, but it's something that they do. Thanks for sharing. That was truly a value bomb. Dr. Gill, if you conducted this interview, what is the one question that you would have asked yourself, I want you to ask the question and answer it. Oh boy. Wow. That's, that's good, Dr. Francis. Go, girl. Because <laughs> <laughs> you asked me so many questions. I'm like, okay, this is one of the best interviews I've ever had. Somebody to get so thorough with me. Let's see. How, okay. And I did not pay, let, let me say this. I did not okay. pay Dr. Gill to say that. <laughs> That was this is this this interview is allowing me to be transparent, yet be me. Uh, it's allowing me to be told about what I believe in, my knowledge, skills, ability, all of that. You, my background. This has been a, a very thorough interview for me. So I'm I'm trying to think because you've touched on almost every part of my life except for let me see except for one thing. There's one thing that I want, and I I'm learning how to deal with this. Is that how is it that you can help so many people, Gail, live, have successful relationships and make, make connections, yet you have not found love? Mm. Because I wasn't in love with my husband, um, and I've never been in love, and I'm 63 years old. And I know that sounds crazy, but I have, I'm full of love, and I love people. But in terms of it has been difficult or challenging for me to to, to Come encounter a king who can swim in my ocean and not drown. <laughs> That's good. That is good. I love that. Listen, I feel like we're like Oprah and Gail. <laughs> okay. We've come to the part of our interview and it's called Fun Facts Lightning Round. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I'd like you to give me very quick answers Okay. Are you ready for the fun facts lightning round? I'm ready. The last movie you saw? Uh, Spider-Man, Far From Home. You relax doing what? Watching movies. Your favorite singer or rapper? <laughs> uh, 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 what's her? Oh, God. Minnie Ripperton. Your favorite dance song? Ooh, that's hard. Anything by Earth, Wind & Fire. What food do you eat every week, no matter what? Um, zucchini spaghetti. Your favorite month? October. Dr. Gail, thank you so much for joining us on Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast. Before we let you go, why don't you share with our audience what is the best way for them to connect with you if they want you to be their coach? Certainly. My handle is easy. Handleyourbusinessgirl.com. www.handleyourbusinessgirl.com. Or just find me on social media, Dr. Gail Hayes. If you Google me, I come up on Facebook, Instagram, at Dr. Gail Hayes, or handleyourbusinessgirl.com. That's a wrap. 
Thank you, Dr. Francis, so much for having me as your guest today. Thank you, Dr. Gail. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening and subscribing to Black Entrepreneur Experience. We would love for you to leave a review and rating on iTunes and share with your friends. For show notes and more episodes, go to www.beepodcast.com. Join us next Wednesday. And remember, green is the new black. So keep your bank accounts and your business in the black.